So that would so you're you're wearing sixteen seventeen. No, uh, so this is our. Uh, you're very close. though. this is our twenty seventeen, um, twenty seventeen eighteen home shirt Adidas, uh, Triple Eight Sport. This is genuinely one of my favourite blues kits, uh, home kits. Uh, I've always thought this is like just the absolute perfect sort of shade of blue for a blues kit. It's like the perfect royal blue. And um, obviously, I had to wear it on this week's episode because it's this is like an episode on we're going to talk about Hutter and what happened to Hutter, and this was his first season. And yeah, really not a great season at all. And for reasons we'll get into when we talk more about Hutter, but I love the kit. And um, I didn't actually buy it at the time because I thought it was kind of similar to the previous season's home shirt, which I had bought. So I actually only got this about six months ago. And you may remember you actually got this for me. <laughs> yeah, I, so, I bought that one. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find um, I was trying to find this kit. So they opened like a pop-up shop in the ball ring a few months ago and they didn't have this one. I was hoping to get it. Uh, but then you saw it online somewhere and I, I, I sent you the money and you got it for me. So Callum Byrne buys blue shirts. Yeah, it, it was a wild birthday where <laughs> yeah. we were in the pub and I bought a blue shirt. <laughs> yes, mad things happened. Um, but yeah, so not a great season, but great kit. And um, this shirt, I was in, I don't know, you know when you sort of associate seasons or that point, that kit with like just what you were doing in your life and so on. So we were in our last year at uni when this season, 2017, 18 and um yeah just a great time even though the football wasn't great it was yeah just got fun memories of it and so on kind of a good time in my life um so yeah it looks like you've gone for a similar theme though maybe yes unlike the mccleish episode (laughs) yeah that's 2020 home shirt right uh 2019 2019 yeah yes it's our first season back in the premier league kappa shirt uh, with the big gold W on the front of it, the warm um, story, and, and yeah, and this really horrible sleeve sponsor. It's the first kit we've had with a sleeve sponsor on it, and I really don't like it on the sleeve. Um, this one, this does have a player on the back as well, but oh uh, really? Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess Horan. No, actually. Oh God, get it off my screen. Yeah, <laughs> Jack Grealish ten on the back of this one. Um, I had I I do have one with her hand on the back though, which yeah we'll see in a few in a couple of weeks probably. Um, but yeah, it's a very simple shirt. It it I the thing was I never actually uh, I had the away one for Christmas. I know I think a bit like you, I tend to get a shirt for Christmas, and I was I thought the home shirt was a bit bland. It was very especially after the Luke kit the year before. This was just a bit a bit boring. But when we got to the League Cup final. I want I was around that period I was sort of convinced that Jack Grealish was going to leave in the summer and I didn't have a Jack Grealish shirt so I wanted I got this shirt for the league cup final with the premier league patch on the sleeve as well the old PL patch so that's why I got this shirt Hello I'm Daniel Sketchler and I'm Callum Byrne We've been friends for more than 10 years sharing lifelong passions such as film and music but most importantly football through the ups and the downs the celebration and the heartbreak However, he's a blue nose. And he's a villain. This is the Second City Podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the Second City Podcast. In this side series, we're going to be looking into the players and managers that have experienced both B6 and B9. 
This week, we take a look at a player that made a hugely unexpected move from Birmingham City to Aston Villa in the summer of 2019. Potter Pelotero started his career at Celta Vigo in Spain, coming up through the youth ranks and B team. In August 2014, Hotter signed a three-year deal with Brentford, newly promoted to the Championship for a reported 1.5 million euros. He'd go on to score 23 goals in 75 games for the Bees under the stewardship of Mark Warburton and Dean Smith. In the summer of 2017, Hotter would become the record signing for Birmingham City, joining the Blues for more than £6 million from Brentford. However, he struggled for form under Steve Cottrell and an infamous miss in a Second City derby fixture would live long in the memory. The appointment of Gary Monk in March 2018 saw him recalled to the regular starting eleven and play a more pivotal role in the Blues team. Across the 2018-19 season, he would score only three goals but register 11 assists. In June 2019, Hotter would surprise the second city by completing the switch from Birmingham City to newly promoted Aston Villa in a money-plus player swap, with Gary Gardner going in the other direction. The Spaniard played in all six of Villa's pre-season matches, scoring twice. He came off the bench in the opening two matches of the Premier League season before getting his first start in game week three against Everton, where he would assist the opening goal from Wesley. He would score his first Aston Villa goal in the League Cup in a 3-0 win away at Brighton, but found game time in the Premier League hard to come by following an injury in November. His last league start came in Villa's 3-0 thumping by Watford in late December. As a result, he wouldn't feature in a Premier League matchday squad until Project Restart, where he made two substitute appearances versus Chelsea and Liverpool. Potter played in Villa's opening two League Cup matches in the 2020-21 season before being released from his contract in October. The day after his Aston Villa exit, Potter signed for La Liga club Deportivo Alaves on a one-year contract. He made 23 league appearances without scoring and confirmed that he would leave the club when his contract expired at the end of the season. After leaving Alaves, he was close to joining a side in Saudi Arabia on a multi-year deal but ultimately announced his retirement in October 2022, saying, In 2021, I lost the ambition I had in previous years, and I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to keep in my memory how happy I have been for so many years. So, Hotter. Yes, uh, it may seem like a strange one to like start with in terms of, obviously we did one of these special episodes on McLeish, Alex McLeish, who obviously was a hugely prominent figure at, at both, Blues and I guess Villa, you know, for very different reasons. Hotter may seem like a strange one to do one on so early, but I think he's a really interesting yeah. case of, I mean, he's he retired at like 31, which obviously is quite young. Obviously, we had recently, not to compare him to him, but Eden Hazard retired recently at 32, and everyone's talking about how young that is. When Blue signed Hotter from Brentford, he was, everyone was raving about him. He was like one of the best players in the championship. And this really isn't that long ago. This is like six yeah. years ago. And he was 26 at the time. It's really mad to think that he's already retired. Yeah. And he's a player that even even in his very brief spell at Aston Villa, he was a player that you could see had some real ability as well. He was he had that little bit of flair. Everyone loves sort of flair players. It's why people rave about James Madison and Jack Grealish, because they those are the sort of players that excite you as a fan. And Hotter had that spark about him. Um but it just didn't really work out for him. And I would say it didn't really work out for him at Blues or at Villa, really, in the end. 
No, I mean, obviously his time at Blues was a lot more prominent. He played a lot more times for Blues, scored more goals, got more assists. But yeah, definitely a disappointment for both clubs. And I think that's really interesting that he went from being, he came into Blues as like a, you know, a really high rated player. And then by the time he's left Villa, his career is like over, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. You hear a lot about when he was at Brentford, he was like a Premier League class player playing in a championship team. Like when we signed him, he was our record signing for over six million. I don't think I don't think the actual amount was ever um no. disclosed. But it's been surpassed since by I think Sunjic now. Um kind of mad to think Ivan Sunjic is our record <laughs> signing. Um but should we go through sort of the timeline then, sort of twenty seventeen when he joins Blues up until when he leaves Villa. So it it was that mad deadline day or end of transfer window season in 2017. Was this the Redknapp summer? Yeah, so this was the Redknapp summer, which I remember at the time being, I don't think I've ever been as excited as a Blues fan <laughs> in my life. <laughs> like, like Harry Redknapp had kept us up. We've had some new owners recently come in and we're like putting all this money. We signed, I remember seeing something with a Brentford fan and we signed Maxine Carlan, Harley Dean and Hotter, all three of them, all from Brentford in the last two days of that transfer window. And this Brentford fan on one of these, you know, football YouTube channels is saying they were like our three best players at the time. And Brentford were good at the time. Yeah, and they still are, obviously. Um, I saw so many people raving about Hatta. And somehow we just had an absolute, just a disaster of a season. And I don't think he ever really got going. Obviously, Redknapp got sacked after a few games after Hatta joined, if that. I think he got sacked in the September and obviously, we look back now, and it's so clear that the club's transfer policy was just all over the place. They clearly yeah. had no plan in place whatsoever. And, and they threw money around like nobody's business that would hurt you for years to come. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're still seeing the effect of it, I guess, a little bit now, but certainly within the last couple of years, still seeing the effect of it and all the, the points deduction that followed and everything because of overspending. I think it ultimately comes down to Hotter was probably a really good player, but he probably wasn't a player that we needed at that point in time. We didn't know exactly where he was going to fit in. Redknapp clearly didn't know exactly where he was going to fit in. And the club clearly had no sort of long-term plan because Redknapp was sacked. And then we had Steve Cottrell come in, who, you know, he's the man who played Sam Gallagher on the wing, like you know, <laughs> six-foot-seven striker. Um, and he really struggled to get the best out of Hotter and actually ended up dropping him for a lot of the season. I think he had a few injuries, but Hotter really couldn't find his place in the team. So it's really disappointing this season because we went from signing all these great players and, I mean, this was the summer where we were where we signed Alex Song um, <laughs> and that never happened. I remember, do you remember like, that summer it looked like John Terry was coming to Blues? It was that, we were both on holiday that summer and the rumour was going around that he was either joining Blues or Villa and we just kept checking Twitter when we were on holiday going, uh, which one is he coming to? I remember, like, uh, you know, uh, very... Everything with blues, I'm like, until I see it, I won't believe it. Until it, you know, like, kind of like the Rooney thing recently, like, until it's announced, I'm not sure I, you know, I really believe this is happening. <laughs> but I was so convinced the John Terry thing w- was happening. I remember walking up to Cottridge one day from my house, and I, I was so sure it was like any second now they're going to announce John Terry. I remember checking my phone like literally every two seconds. And obviously that announcement never came. It ended up uh, very different circumstances. But my point being, this was meant to be like this really exciting summer, bringing in all these really great players. And ultimately, we ended up finishing 19th and only stayed up on the last day. The only sort of saving grace with Hotter that season was 
Gary Monk came in in the March, Cottrell got sacked, and it was just inevitable. It was an absolute disaster. Our sporting director got sacked. Uh, sorry, director of football, Jeff Fatia, got sacked. So was, that's, I mean, if your director of football is getting sacked after about seven months, <laughs> uh, you know, it's quite clear there's a serious problem there with your recruitment. Yeah. But I know Gary Monk really rated Hutter and wanted him from his time when he was at Leeds. He really tried to, apparently he tried to get him when he was at Leeds. And he really kind of worked out, get Hutter back in the team, get him firing. And we did just about survive relegation, but we certainly did not see Hutter's best form that season at all. He didn't score his first goal, I think, until... Uh, it must have been, it was definitely the second half of the season. It must have been like February or March uh, away at Sheffield Wednesday, although he did score twice. Um, but he will most be remembered that season for uh, that miss. Yeah. Uh, you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it's maybe, maybe it's become more infamous than maybe it should have been just because of the game was terrible. And yeah. it's like the only thing that happened in the game. But obviously, yeah. the the derby at St Andrews in 2017. It was like like we said last week because I wore the shirt. We wore this black away shirt in the second city derby, and we very rarely. I don't think I've ever seen. There's no need for it. There's no need for it. No. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, Connor Hurahan gives the ball away in our own half, and Hotter gets on the end of the end of it, just nips in front of John Terry, and all of a sudden he's through one on one with Sam Johnston. Takes a little touch to his left, blazes it over the bar from about the penalty spot. Uh, you weren't, were you at that game? No, no, I've never oh. been to St Andrews. Have you not? Oh, well, um, I was in the, I was in the top, and I was pretty much bang in line with where he took the shot from. <laughs> and I remember he did all, he did everything right. Like the game was nil nil. It was about an hour in, maybe, and yeah. we hadn't beaten you in like in the league in probably like twelve years or something. And I remember he nipped the ball away and obviously like just did all the hard work. He's one on one. This is our record signing. You know, he's an attacking midfielder, like a number yeah. 10. And you know, this is his moment. Like he's come in and he's really not got going at all yet. This is his moment. And I remember like bouncing up and down. Everyone in the ground was like bouncing. It was like, this is it, this yeah. is the moment. And he it wasn't close. He didn't even come close to scoring. Like he just yeah. absolutely battered it over the bar. I have no idea to this day. Uh, frustrating because you know we probably win the game if he scores that like the yeah. game is so poor there was so few chances but this was at a point as well so even though we made the playoffs that season this early point in the season we were really really poor we had a striker crisis all our strikers were injured and we we're playing Keenan Davis up front he was a young kid out the youth academy and Albert Adoma was scoring a lot of our goals so we were half decent defensively but going forward we were really struggling Ironically, yeah. Keenan Davis, nearly the man who did have your <laughs> one really good chance at the bar in like the dying minutes. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, Blues did stay off that year. Gary Monk did get more out of him in the second season, in the 2018-19 season, which was, in general, a much better, more solid season. For one, we just had one manager for the whole season rather than three, like we did in uh, the Red Nut Cultural Monk season. But also, Monk had a much more established team for the whole year. And Hutter was the sort of mainstay right winger of that team that actually went on a really long and beaten run in the first half of the season. And he only scored three goals in this season, as we mentioned, but he did get 11 assists. And they're not like amazing numbers, but I think there was a clear improvement and he was clearly much more of a mainstay in the team. 
and it would be a lot more. So we'd have Gary Gardner on loan from you, actually. Him and Kiftenberg would be kind of city midfielders and the wingers. So like Hotter on the right would like push up a lot more and a lot of our like attacking impetus would come from them. And so even though I always saw Hotter more as a number 10, like an attacking midfielder, Monk found a way to kind of play to his strengths. He was always quite a weak player physically, mm. but he used his pace and his trickery a lot to, you know, unpick teams. And we actually had a, if it wasn't for the points deduction, we would have actually had a really good season this year. And Hutter did really well supplying chances for players like Che Adams, Lucas Jukovic, and so on. So there were some games this season where Hutter was excellent. We um, we beat QPR away 4-3. And it's like, I mean, I wish I was at that game. It was like absolutely incredible. Like we were 4-0 up at halftime and just about held on for the win. But Hutter was like unplayable. Like this was when he was on it, he was unplayable. Yeah. He got two assists and then and the one of them is an unreal like through ball for Shea Adams, like just cuts the defense in half. And I think that made it two nil. And then another one was like his technically wasn't an assist, but like his shot hits off the it's an amazing shot, hits wow. off the post. And then Adams gets the rebound. So he was just like, you know, he's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. He scored a brilliant goal against Nottingham Forest one game where Lucas Jukovic is like, I think he was playing more as a number 10 that day, actually, Hotter. And Jukovic's like flicks the ball on. And, uh, and then Hatem like meets it and flicks it over uh, the defender's head with his right foot and then lets it drop onto his left and starts it home. That was what he was capable of, and we won the game 2 0. So he had moments of like absolute brilliance in him. He actually scored the, when we beat Rotherham away 3 1 right at the end of the season. It was actually his goal that put us 2 1 up. So technically, he scored the winning goal in the game that confirmed our survival for that season as well. So it was good seeing him be much more of a mainstay player in the team. But it was, he never hit that like consistent level, if you know what I mean. Like, Hotte just never had that consistent level at all. I think he's probably summed up best. We played West Brom in a, um, in a Friday night game uh, in, the 2018, in 2018, and he scored to put us 1 0 up. And I'm pretty sure he, we then got a penalty like two minutes later, and that would have put us 2 0 up, and he took the penalty and he missed. And then West Brom scored a couple of minutes later and we drew 1-1. That, I think that just like sums him up. You know, he scores, brilliant. He's like Scott Hogan. He scores and he's <laughs> off like that. And then he misses the chance to, you know, really seal it. That was his time at Blues, just summed up. And for some reason, he was just, maybe his injuries, consistently changing manager. He was just never able to solidify himself at Blues. And then obviously, summer of 2019, everything changes unexpectedly. Yeah, what do you remember about that move? Did you... I remember it coming absolutely out of nowhere and being yeah. The thought of a swap deal between Blues and Villa was unheard of. I don't know if it's ever yeah. happened before. And I remember being kind of confused by it because fans rightfully kind of criticised Hutter quite a lot, but I always argued he was still the most creative player in our team at that point. Yeah, and so to sell him and get so we got Gary Gardner in return, who'd been on loan at us the year before and had done very well. But I was like, well, shouldn't we be building around a player like Hutter to really... Like, a lot of the argument with Hutter was that he didn't have, you know, the players around him to play with, which he maybe had at Brentford, that would let him play to his best level. And I was like, well, shouldn't we be adding to that then rather than moving him on, if you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it was. it's it's a weird one. It's a weird one, because I, rem- I remember when it was... It came out of nowhere, but I, I think like maybe like two or three hours before it was announced, the sort of leaks came out. Mm. 
and it was very much her like, why are we signing him? <laughs> um, like that summer after we got promoted, we lost quite a lot of players. I think we had the maximum five loan slots in the championship all filled up. And then we had, we must have released about six players at the end of their contracts that we just didn't offer them new deals, which is why we went and signed 11 players that summer. We basically had to rebuild the team to survive in the Premier League. Um, and Hotter was the first player we signed that summer um, in, in that swap deal. Um, but there was a lot of rumours at the time. So that summer as well, we released Ross McCormack in like that infamous 12-word statement announcing his departure. And Gary Gardner was another one of those departures as well. And there was a lot of rumours at the time that there were a couple of players which had, and it would would have made sense with that Dr. Tony ownership era, of a lot of players were coming in and having promotion clauses in contracts. And I remember Gary Garner had a new deal like a few weeks after Steve Bruce joined when he actually started pretty much every week in our midfield. And there was a lot of rumours that they were in for big pay increases after like, I don't know, when, whenever like the transfer window officially starts, which I guess would have been the 1st of July. And this this deal happened pretty much bang on that date, near enough. Yeah. Um. So, and also as well, Gary Gardner was never going to play for us again. He was a player that had always done really well out on loan. He'd had a few chances, but it just never really worked for him at Aston Villa. And I'm sure we'll talk about him another day. So there was no point having this player that we just didn't need, didn't really want, and was never going to play. As whereas Hotter could then come in and be a good, theoretically a good squad player and a good option for us. Um, so I kind of see the logic. Dean Smith knew him from his time at Brentford as well. Oh, I think that's, that's the main big fee. That, yeah, that must be the main instigator in it. Because obviously at Brentford, he was like on fire. Like I know he had some loan spells in Spain, I think as well when he was at Brentford. Yeah. But there were, there were seasons at Brentford when he was like on fire. So Dean Smith clearly knew that there was a player there and probably felt they could really get something out of him. But he started well at Villa as well. Yeah, he did. Um, which I think, you know, I think for a player that's making, especially that big move across to the Premier League from the Championship, but also across the second city as well, I think it's fair to say us as Villa fans were fairly sceptical of his ability. Bear in mind, our main, like, memory of Hotter is that miss that we talked about earlier. Um mm. And so, yeah, he started all of our preseason games, or he played in all of our preseason games, and he looked unbelievable. He was absolutely brilliant in preseason. I remember, albeit when we had our yearly trip to Warsaw in in the preseason friendly, and yes, it's only Warsaw. They're in League Two, we're the Premier League, but he was unplayable. He was absolutely brilliant, and we we were watching this going, "Oh my God, we've signed the next Messi! Like this guy is unbelievable." And then, and like, I remember when our team sheet came out for the first day of the season at Tottenham um, and quite a lot of that, like only a handful of our new signings started. Dean Smith really wanted to give a lot of the players that got us up into the Premier League a chance to keep the shirt. There was a few players that he obviously replaced, but I remember looking at the team sheet and thinking, God, why isn't Hotter starting here away at Spurs? Like... Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that sort of turnaround he'd sort of had maybe in a in the space of a few months. Mm-hmm. Um and he did come off the bench and he did come off the bench against uh Bournemouth as well in the first home game. But he got his first start 
at, Ever- at home to Everton in the third game week of the season, Friday night under the lights at Villa Park. And he was brilliant. He was so, so good. And he really had that sort of sparkle that we'd seen in pre-season. He got the assist for the opening goal to get, uh, where he just slid this beautiful through ball in for Wesley, who scored. And yeah, it it, it looked like it, it was going to be a bit of a match made in heaven. Um, he started the week after away at Celeste Park and didn't really have a good game. And he got, uh, he got hooked, I think, for Trezeguet, who then got sent off. But that was that was kind of his high moment uh, that that first start that first assist. It all just sort of went a bit down. It all was just downhill from there. Near enough, he did score in the League Cup um, away at Brighton. I was there that night uh, when he scored his goal. You saw his one goal in person. <laughs> I saw his only Aston Villa goal in a competitive game because I remember being really happy for him when he scored. Like because he maybe he'd maybe struggled a bit after that that night against Everton. And I was like, he scored. And I was like, maybe this will be, this will be where he can kick on a little bit. But then came the injuries. Yeah. And I think, given that he retired like two or three years later, kind of showed that that's where it all all went wrong, really. Yeah, I think injuries have got to go down as like the biggest hindrance in his career, and why he just never got any momentum in his time in the Midlands. Yeah. But I was actually surprised. You, like in the intro, we talked about how we got a couple of games in after, only off the bench, but after like so, twenty nineteen twenty was obviously the COVID season, so we had the big break. Yeah. Then it came back behind closed doors. I actually didn't realize he was playing games that late at all in the season, yeah. and I can't believe the following season he actually got. Did you say he got a couple of League Cup games or something? Yeah, yeah. That, that's wild to me. I did not realize he was playing that late for Villa. I thought he genuinely got binned off by like the October that season. Because obviously you're, we mentioned how a sort of common theme and maybe a starting point as to why it maybe didn't fully work for him at either club is that he joined both clubs in like a mad summer transfer window. Yeah. Like he was just one of like a million players coming yeah. in at Blues under Harry Redknapp and obviously everything that was going on there. And then a Villa, how many players did you sign that summer? You Eleven. Like Eleven players. Eleven. And most, like, not, I don't think any of them are still there apart from maybe Douglas Louise, maybe. There's a, there's a couple actually. Um, oh, really? Who do we, we sign? Esri Konza was in that summer. Douglas Louise. Point being, though, a lot of them, it, a lot of it didn't work, right? Like, and no, you barely, no. you stayed up with a skinnier teeth. That's a common thing, yeah. a, a parallel as well, is that you joined teams. Oh, Tyrone but... Mings. That was the one I knew oh, I'd forgotten. Is. Oh, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, it's like the parallels are there that you came to both clubs, one of many players to come in, really unbalanced squads, clearly not quite well prepared at all. And both teams just about scraped survival on the last day each season. And so he never got into like a winning rhythm, really. Mm-hmm. Apart from maybe, you know, a brief period in his second season at Blues. But again, injuries constantly disrupted him. And it's a shame because, as we've mentioned, he is a player in terms of raw ability, ability who, you know, an incredibly naturally gifted player. Yeah. And so we, if we go back to the 20, to 2019 then... So the, I think he had a groin injury for us, but then he then went on to have surgery on a hernia that he'd been suffering for a long time. So he'd been playing through the pain barrier quite a lot with this hernia injury. And he came back and uh, he played, it's the game around between Boxing Day and New Year, New Year's Day, away at Watford. And we played this really weird team that day away at Watford. I remember Henry Lansbury started, Hotter started, and we were dreadful. We were 
awful. It's one of the worst games I've ever watched. I was ill as anything over Christmas and like hauled myself out of bed to watch this game. And it was awful. It was really, really bad. We got battered. Troy Deeney scored twice, as he always does. I think I remember this. (laughs) But we just come off the back of a really big win against Norwich on Boxing Day. And so the... We were all we were like hope was there, and we just got yeah. battered by the team who'd been bottom for pretty much most of the season up until that point. Mm. And yeah, Hotter didn't have a good game at all, and that was his last start in the Premier League. Uh, his only other start that season would come away in the FA Cup third round against Fulham, where we made loads of changes, and the likes of Henry Lansbury and James Chester, who'd barely played, um, started, and we lost two one. Uh, Harry Arter scored two worldies against Nyland. Um, but yeah, and then we didn't see him again. That was it. He 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 basically vanished off the face of the earth. I think it was around then maybe he had his hernia surgery and that's why he just completely disappeared and we didn't see him again until the lockdown restart where he came off the bench against Chelsea and he almost scored with his first touch. He was like so close to scoring, but he just sort of scuffed the shot and it just rolled across the box. Um, and another, I guess, nearly moment for him. Like he would have come completely out of the cold. He'd just been thrown on because we were chasing the game and we had no options on the bench. And he would have scored the goal that got us a, a, like a vital point. Um, yeah. But it just wasn't to be. And then he, the same thing happened. He got thrown on against Liverpool, but the game was already gone. Um, he was in the match day squad when we stayed up on the last day of the season. He's in the photos. He's in all the videos of the celebrations. Um and I do think it was a big thing for him to be part of a squad that did stay up on the last day of the season, you know. And... It's weird. Sorry, it's weird seeing that parallel as well because that's, I mean, we when we stayed up on the last day in 2018 and it, it, we beat Fulham 3-1 uh, and this was a Fulham team that ended up getting promoted and obviously beat you in the playoff final. Um, it's weird as well. That's like the sort of thumbnail on the YouTube video of, of the highlights is like hotter, like, you know, going like that we've stayed up. So it's weird. Like he has these, there is this imagery at both clubs of him like celebrating and they've achieved something. But I think it's fair, maybe not so much in Villa's case, but definitely in Blues's case, like us staying up that season, it was being celebrated because we so nearly went down, but that was a failure as well. You know, that was, they were talking about us top six getting promoted, you know, and it's kind of a shame that that's as much as he achieved at Blues and Villa. Obviously not a shame for me that that's all he achieved at Villa. But... Yeah. It's a weird one. He he didn't really contribute a lot in a Villa shirt, and but you could look at it, and the way this is maybe how I look at things as a fan sometimes. If we'd never signed him, we might not have stayed up that year because he played. <laughs> he got that. He got the assist. He he had a goal contribution in the Premier League that led to us winning, and those okay. three points were vital. It was so, yeah, very true. Was that you know whatever. I mean, apparently the cash plus player offer, I, 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 we couldn't verify this, but it sounds like it was about three million they paid or something like that for Hatter. Um, can't, couldn't confirm it, but I remember hearing it was about that amount. And like, if that three million kept you up, you know, <laughs> the money you yeah. saved staying up there, probably worth it. So, yeah, then he made, as you said, he was still with us in our second season uh, following promotion, which would have been the lockdown year where there was no fans. Um, And yeah, he played a couple of League Cup games, including when we stupidly went and got knocked out at home to Bristol City 
Oh, not Bristol City, sorry, to Stoke City. We beat Bristol City in the, the previous round, where, I don't know, we played Stoke, who were bang average to bottom half in the championship, and we just played a bit of a joke team in, like, the fifth round, and we lost 1-0. We were dreadful. It was the last game for a couple of players at that point, and Hotter was one of them. The other one was Oyen Nyland, who, who they agreed a mutual termination and left, didn't need them around, I guess. I think it was after we got knocked out of that competition, it was, I guess, we don't need you. You're never going to play. And maybe Hotter wasn't on amazing wages, but there was a chance for him to go and play football elsewhere, which he did the next day. He went and joined um, the Spanish side uh, in La Liga. So, yeah, it sort of went with a, maybe came in with a bit of a shock, but, Came in quite quietly and left quite quietly as well. In the end, yeah, yeah, and I think he will go down as the right man at the wrong time for both clubs. I think. Mm. I actually wonder if it, it like it's kind of a, a it's testament as well to how Blues' transfer policy lacked any sort of plan whatsoever. In that we then the, we sold Hutter and then the following season we obviously Monk left, and then Pep Clatet became our manager. And obviously in the end that season went you know, did not go well in the end as well in, in terms of, obviously we went in, after lockdown, we didn't win a single game. We ended up finishing, I think, 20th. And But there was a point in that season when it actually looked like things were going really well. And I remember uh, a Friday night game, we played Middlesbrough and we beat them 2-1 and we were absolutely outstanding. And the policy, like the the board really wanted this like free-flowing, like attacking football under Clitess. And a lot of the time it didn't really click but there were times when it clearly was working and was coming together a lot more and whereas Monk's style was very much you know it's functional like 4-4-2 he was like a flair player in you know a a, a team that didn't have flair players yeah whereas Clotet's team was more of that style and we had other really you know Sunjic when he came in looked like a really technically skilled player which obviously is not so much the case anymore (laughs) and then we had players like Dan Crowley, who I really liked. We seem to have more players that he could probably you know, bounce off in some ways. Obviously, Bellingham came through this season. Players that he probably could have really bounced off and a system that maybe would have suited him better. We tried 4-3-3 a bit more this season. But um, Hotter would have... I, I feel like Hotter would have been way better in that system and it kind of shows Blues just didn't really have any plan at all. We had him in these two teams for two years in teams that just didn't fit him at all. And when we were looking to transition to a team that would actually suit him a bit better... We sold him. So his blues of the era summed up completely. Blues under BSHL just summed up entirely, I think. And then obviously he left Villa and he went to uh, Deportivo Alaves. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. It was a bit of a disaster. Never really got going. Played 20-odd games. Never scored for them. And next thing we know, he's retired at 31. Yeah, it was... A bit of a strange one because he'd gone from being, as as we say, like he was playing a Premier League club, and in the space of a season, season and a half, he he's retired, and um, it didn't work for him in in Spain. Um, I think he was struggling with injuries still, or at least the after effects of that. He definitely lost, like lost a stride, maybe. Um, mm. But I think I think like his statement when he left is like really really interesting when he talks about like he's sort of fallen out of love with football, and like that's the moment where he knew 
it it was game over. There's no point continuing to play, even though the wages, the money's really good. It, there's no point doing something if you don't love it or just doing it for the sake of doing it. And maybe he, he realised maybe at that point that to continue being a professional footballer, he was going to have to be a bit of a journeyman almost. Like, yeah. And it's, he's been it's relatively something... settled in the West Midlands for four years after, you know, or in England for even longer, if you include Brentford, gone back to Spain. Maybe he didn't want to uproot his family again. Yeah, it's something we never like really consider. We were, you know, when we talk about players when they move or why they make certain decisions, and we've talked about is it like injuries that really hampered his career? And I think that certainly was a factor, but also just like the mental toll of it. Like, yeah. you know, if he's been in, it's very easy to consider that he probably moved to Blues and probably really regretted it. Although I imagine he was on a lot more money, but it mm. for the most part didn't work out. At least certainly for his first year, it didn't work out at all. I think there is an argument to be made that his second season was a lot better. Um, but then his time at Villa was a complete disaster, and then his time at um, in back in Spain seemed to be a disaster. So he's had like a, quite a few years there, of probably just not enjoying his football at all, and yeah. people doubting him a lot. And so you know, it's not hard to see why he probably decided to just call it a day. And I mean, we we tried to look into what he's doing now, and it seems like his post football life is kind of almost nothing to do with football. Yeah, because he's got yeah, a few. He, he, he few business connections or that's the route he's going is sort of business and and the, a bit of horse racing on the side not actually horse racing but like managing the stables effectively yeah um, like he um yeah and like one of the biggest business ventures he seems to have is um like a like an agriculture sort yeah. of um based on agriculture and farming and so on so it seems like I mean, it seems like he's doing well. It's you know based on his only based on his Instagram, I suppose. But he's taken. He's clearly taken. A, when he says he's fell out of love with football, I think he means that he's yeah. you know he's not gone into pun like you know anything in Spain and with football or any sort of coaching like most players do. He seems to have completely U turned away from it. And you know what? Fair enough. If that's what he wants yeah. to do, then put all power to him. And if at the very least the big money from. Premier League football has given him that that money to go and do the things that he's interested in, the things he actually loves doing. And you have to, you know, you can't you can't criticize that. I guess in a way. Sure, I mean he's been he's in a position where he can retire at thirty one yeah. because he wants to because he, yeah. you know, and then you know what, uh, I don't I don't blame him for that. So I think he will go down as um like a real missed opportunity for both. Yeah, it's clubs. a what could have been, isn't it? Absolutely, I think particularly for Blues, I think there was real excitement. When he came in, I feel like with Villa there wasn't that like pressure there because expectations were low. Mm-hmm. I suppose though he had, yeah. like you say, he had such a good preseason that it maybe built back up a little bit. But a Blues for him to kind of, as I say, it got better, but for him to never reach even anywhere close to, to come in as the record time. signing in this big summer of all this money seemingly getting thrown into the club. Absolutely, didn't, didn't quite happen. I feel like. We're coming to a close, Dan. We are, we are. Um, keep an eye out, though, for some more of these sort of player specials soon. And let us know if there's any that you'd like us to cover. We've got a few in mind. Um, we'll probably do another one in a few weeks. Yeah, we've got another international break on the way, even though this one hasn't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, England and Italy are playing right now as we're recording this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what the <laughs> score is. We'll check in. Um, but, Cal, we'll probably reconvene this time next week because uh, yes. we've got a big weekend coming up, obviously. Who have Villa got this weekend? Uh, we've got West Ham in the 4.30 on Sunday. So massive, massive game. 
Yeah, big game. Uh, and obviously, Blues, huge occasion because it's won Wayne Rooney's first game. Actually, of course, since we last recorded it, it has been officially confirmed that <laughs> Wayne Rooney is the Birmingham manager. Pretty crazy, pretty surreal to see. Um, so hopefully he hits the ground running, playing his old teammate, uh, team Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough. Not to call the... Oh, I shouldn't do that. Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough, Wayne Rooney's Birmingham. We're not going to get into all that. No. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we'll reconvene next week and get into um, those games a bit more. Yeah. And if you have enjoyed today's show, please leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on or give us a like on YouTube if you're watching there. Yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter or X as it's known now and TikTok. Um, you can find everything with the handle at Second City Pod. At, at Second City Pod, so at 2ND City Pod. Yeah, this has been uh, the curious tale of Hotter Pelletario. Yes, we're still oh, not sure on out... that pronunciation. Yeah. Pelletario. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, if you have enjoyed this Second City story and you didn't catch our other one on Alex McLeish when he rocked the Second City, go and check that out. That one was really good as well. And uh, Dan, we'll see you next week. See you next week, dude.